Um, ooh, a little loud. Is that better? Better? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Um, can you just uh, imagine with me that, and, and maybe you've actually done this, that you're walking into an incredibly... Is that? That's what you're looking for? Okay. You're walking into like an incredibly high-end store. And... I mean like really, really high-end store like Tiffany's or, um, you know, some really fancy art gallery. And I don't know if any of you have ever done that, just out of curiosity, just walked into something where you knew that everything there was was a bit too much, a bit too expensive for you. Um, I mean, I've done that a couple times. And it's it's weird how you feel when you walk into a place like that. You know you don't belong. Those who are the employees of the store know you don't belong. The other patrons know you don't belong, and yet there you are, you know? And it's, it's such an uncomfortable feeling of, of not belonging. But then how would you feel if you walked in there, if you were Bill Gates, where you just like snap your fingers and you bought the store? Your confidence level just go through the roof because you know you belong. Those who are there know you belong. And so you feel it. You feel it deep down that you are where you're supposed to be. I think in prayer we kind of can be on one of those two sides. In prayer we can feel like we're coming before God and we just don't belong. We can feel our own sense of unworthiness, our own sense of sin, and, and it, it just feels like it's too much. And we watch what we ask for, we watch what we say, because we're so aware that, that maybe I just don't belong. But then we can also learn and grow into prayer, in the sense that this is where I am supposed to be. Where our confidence level and our identity of who we are says that we belong and that we can come before Jesus, before God, before the throne of heaven, knowing that that is where we are meant to be. That our identity is such that we have the right to walk in there. I think in, in, in what God is doing in our prayer in, in the congregation is given us the, conf- the confidence to say that we belong. To say that we belong and that we have the right because of who we are in Jesus to walk right up before God in our prayers and in our worship and in everything that we do to do it in his presence because that's where we're meant to be. Oh, there we go. Um, And with that in mind, can we read together this passage from Luke 18? It's a parable that Jesus told. It's Luke 18 starting in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, um, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. In reading that, that parable, and it's a pretty common parable when we talk about prayer, but in reading it, we often stop with the idea of persistence. That in order to, to have our prayers answered, that we need to pray persistently and often and consistently coming before God um, and bringing those same things over and over and over to Him. But I think that this parable actually has a, a little deeper meaning than that. I, not that it's against that and against persistence in prayer. That's, that's great and a wonderful lesson to learn. But I think that this parable is actually telling us about our identity in prayer. See, Jesus is making a contrast here between the unjust judge who gave in reluctantly because he, out of his own self-interest, just to kind of get this thing over with, not because he cared about the widow who is coming to him. Jesus is making a contrast between that judge and God who loves and cares, who is infinitely just, who is willing and excited to answer the prayers of those of us who come before him. And that's, this parable is talking about our character and about a confidence, uh, sorry, not our, our character, um, it's talking about our confidence in prayer. That we can be confident that because God is who he is, because he is loving, because he is full of grace and full of, full of mercy, because he is, is so just, that we can trust that our prayers will be heard, that they will not be put off, that God will listen to what we have to say, that he will respond, not reluctantly, but willingly, because we are his children. And this is a powerful picture of prayer. And... I, I think in, in reality with prayer that there's sometimes where we pray like this, where we keep praying over and over again, um, and, and we pray persistently. And there's other times where we're called to pray, and we pray once, and it's done, and we believe that the answer's there. And I think that's, that in, in learning to tell the difference is, is just a growing process. And it's just about learning to be in tune with His Spirit and what He's saying and what He's leading in that time. But what is always, always behind it, no matter what we're called into, uh, prayer in a specific situation, that we're always, always called to be confident in that prayer, to be confident in the one that we are praying to, to be confident in our, in our identity of who we are, that, that God will listen to our prayer, that God will not keep putting us off like this judge did, but God will respond and respond quickly to our cries. Now, this confidence is something that I find to be as important as anything else in our prayer. And I think that in, in, in learning to pray, and very much we are learning to pray, that it's more than a technique, that it's more than, than any kind of style or any way that we pray, that prayer is first and foremost a position that we enter into. The very... Act of praying says to Jesus and also to ourselves, to our own spirits and our souls and our bodies, that we are reliant on Jesus for everything that we have. 
for every good thing, that we're reliant on Him, that we can do nothing apart from Him, that He is the source of all good things. And so in doing that, that we're positioning ourselves under God. And this is the first position that we enter into. We enter into, or we start by putting God above us. God as the Lord of our lives. God is our sustainer and our provider. When Jesus began teaching uh, the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he began with, with worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we, I think the lesson from that is that we begin to put God in the rightful place over our lives in prayer, beginning in our worship. We do it through our worship. And um, we also do it as our worship. And so we put God as in his rightful place over us. And that's, I, I believe, the first step in prayer. And I think that's in obedience to, to Psalm 46, verse 10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. So by being still, we know that he is God. We know that he is God over us. We put him in his rightful place in our lives. We acknowledge who he is. And we acknowledge that, that we um, are reliant on him. But then at the same time, we have to position ourselves, we have to position ourselves under him. And this, I believe, is where the confidence comes in. When I was learning, uh, you know, kind of growing up, I was in very conservative churches, and it was very easy for us to acknowledge that God was God. And it was very hard for us to acknowledge that we were anything to come before Him. And so we'd stop at the first part in prayer, where we'd say that, you know, God is God, and, and that was it. But then we could never actually enter into it with any confidence in, in, in being able to pray with any kind of passion with any kind of um, hope that anything would come from our prayer. But I think that the Bible has a lot to say about how we, where we stand before God, and I think that there's just amazing promise in that for us. And by this, I mean that we look at where we stand in relation to God and in our relationship with Him. And so I'm just going to look at a few, uh, um, a few scriptures here that talk about where we stand when we come in prayer, that the basis for our confidence and the, through the relationship that we have with God and through who we are through Christ. The first passage I want to look at is Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now this verse, it, it talks about two things. It talks about the character of God. That God is good. And because he is good, he can't possibly give us something bad. It's just outside of his character. That we, when we come... Bring what we uh, bring, whatever is on our heart to Him. That He's not going to respond in a way that's going to be negative to us, in a way that's going to harm us. He's not going to respond, um, you know, through stinginess or selfishness. He's not going to respond in a way that leaves us hurt or rejected. But it also talks it talks about where we stand, and 
to the picture of a child coming to a parent. And there is trust there when a child comes to a parent. He does it in, he or she does it in trust. That the parent is both able to provide and that the parent will provide something that is good. And so when we come in prayer, we come in the confidence that we will only receive something that is good for us. But there's the other side to this where the verse, this passage talks about a, a child coming, asking for a stick and not receiving a snake. But what if we came? What if the child came and asked for a poisonous snake? That is, the point I'm making is that no parent would ever give their child the poisonous snake, something that is going to hurt them like that, or no parent should. And so when we come to God in, with our prayers, we know that He is going to give us what is good, even if what we ask for is not good for us. And so we acknowledge, we recognize that we don't know what is really the best for us. That we don't have the whole picture. We don't know all that God knows. And so we trust that when what we ask for, that God is not going to give us something harmful just to answer our prayers. That we can be confident that He will answer, that He will answer with what is best for us, what is healthy, what is helpful, and what um, that we will only receive the best in return for our prayers. And so we put ourselves under God by trusting in His generosity and trusting in His goodness. Uh, the second verse, it was um, from the passage that Bill read in James 5, and it's part of the verse of James 5.16, and it says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And our prayers carry with them an immense power. And not because of who we are, but because of the one that we are praying to. It's not, there's no power in our prayer, there's power in the one who is, who is the object of our prayers. Now, in reading this verse, we can get caught up in, um, in, in the word righteous, the condition there that, that's the, the prayer of a righteous man that is powerful and effective. And so if we're not feeling particularly righteous that day, we can feel like, like our prayers have been undermined. But I don't really believe that. I think that is Satan undermining our prayers. I don't think that is really from God. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I don't believe that our righteousness is based in what we do. It's not based in how we feel that day. It's not based in whether or not we snapped at our kid or we clashed with a coworker or or judgmental thoughts that have been going through our mind. That's not a, where our righteousness is based. A Romans 3... Um, talks about our righteousness. And it says, But now our righteousness from God, apart from the law, so apart from what we do, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So if you're somebody who maybe balks 
at this verse because you don't feel like you could ever measure up to the qualifications for righteousness. Well, you are right. You don't. But the power of the gospel, the, the, the amazing thing about the gospel is that it is not our own righteousness that counts. It is the righteousness of Christ that, that we enter into when we believe in Jesus and when we come into faith in Him. So because of our faith in Jesus, because of His righteousness, we are made righteous. And because we are made righteous through Jesus, we are promised that our prayers will be powerful and effective. So don't let Satan steal that away from you based on how you feel. Don't let Satan undermine your prayers by telling you that you are not righteous enough to pray powerfully and effectively. Because the promise of the Bible is that you have been made righteous through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And that... Graham Cook at the conference we went to talked about our heavenly persona as the way that, that heaven looks at us. The way that heaven looks at us when we are found in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, is that it sees us as righteous and holy, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. And because that has now become part of our identity, part of who we are. And so we place ourselves under Jesus, and we enter into prayer with confidence by recognizing that we only come through what Jesus did on the cross. And that because of what Jesus did, that we know that we are made righteous. And that as God hears our prayers, He sees them as righteous men and women um, and His children who are coming before Him. Now, the next verse is from Hebrews 4:16. And it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this verse is coming out of a discussion. The writer of Hebrews is talking about what Jesus did, what Jesus did on the cross and what he's doing right now. And he's saying that right now, Jesus is in heaven working as our advocate. Where Jesus is there on our behalf, as the member of the Trinity speaking up on our behalf. And so because we have Jesus on our side, he says that we can come before God in confidence. And we don't beg to come into the presence of God. That we don't come feeling unworthy, unwanted. We don't come feeling that God will grudgingly accept us there. We walk boldly before God. We come boldly into our presence because we've been made righteous through Jesus, but also because Jesus continues to speak on our behalf, to intercede on our behalf. It's a powerful, powerful way to pray. That is, for me, that is a, a powerful um, uh, powerful way to remind myself to come in confidence in prayer. To know that it's not just me, it's Jesus and me coming in prayer. It's Jesus standing beside me as I come before the throne of God. It is Jesus who is standing up for us when we come in prayer. And so rather than coming as beggars before God, we come as honored guests. We come as children 
We come as those who are invited and welcome to come into his presence. And so James 5, once again the passage that Bill read, invites us to pray. Invites us to pray with confidence. And invites us to pray with faith. Whether we're in trouble, whether we're happy, whether we come needing repentance, whether we come needing healing, whatever it is, whatever need is on our hearts and in our spirits at that time, that whatever it is we come, we bring it before God, we put Him in in His rightful place in our lives as Lord of our lives, and then we come in confidence that we are welcome through Jesus, that we are welcome to come in prayer, that we are invited and encouraged to bring what is on our heart before the throne of heaven. And we have the confidence that because we've been made righteous through Jesus, that those prayers that we pray are going to be powerful and effective. I just want to read something that Graham Cook wrote um, in, in a book on prayer. I think it's called Crafting Prayer. He said, I believe God is taking many into a new season of intimate, bride-like prayer. Warfare in the kingdom of God is always concerned with the battle for intimacy. This means that we, we come in, through the relationship that we have, believing that we have intimacy through the Father. And this comes through our confidence And we know we don't come with this great gulf between us and God that we need to cross in our prayers. That we come, we're invited to come right up to Him. That is intimacy. And this is a time to come off the battlefield and enter a new place of intimate petition. Too many intercessors have become exhausted and too burned out to continue praying the way the church has been advocating. As we learn to be conformed to God and His nature, and so putting God in His rightful place, and be transformed by our minds and personalities, so putting ourselves in our right, rightful place through Christ. He will teach us to look beyond the natural and into the supernatural realm and see the kingdom of heaven at work in every need. It will no longer matter what life, people, or even the enemy throw at us. Because we will be able to hear the conversation in heaven and understand that God is at work all around us. That's an exciting invitation to prayer. An invitation to come, and not as outsiders coming before God, but as those, the bride of Christ who is welcomed into his presence, welcomed to, to hear his thoughts to hear his burdens, welcomed to come in prayer not as a burden, not as something that we work to do, but as a place where we can sit at the feet of God, where we can enter into intimacy with him. And so have him flow through us and have him change the way that we look at ourselves, at the church and at the world. And that is what that is what we're being invited to enter into. But I'm going to just try something here, okay? So just kind of bear with me. We're going to 
just try to try to respond in a way that is not just thinking about this stuff in a theoretical way, but how, how does this impact us? We're going to do this through some self-talk, okay? Um, Janice Sini, when she was here, talked about, about the self-talk where we speak to ourselves and we speak to our spirits and so that our spirits will become changed by the truth that we're speaking. And so if we want to enter into prayer and confidence, we're going to say some things together to remind us of why we have that confidence, to remind us of what Jesus has done. And so can we just stand up, please, if you're able to stand up. And I just, what I want you to do, I just want you to just repeat after me. And as you do this, to speak to your spirits, to listen to the words, and, um, and trust that Jesus is using this to change your spirit, to change your outlook. So first, because I have been made righteous through Christ, my prayer is powerful and effective. We say that together. Made righteous through Christ, my prayer is powerful and effective. And I have been invited to step boldly before the throne of God. I've been invited to step boldly before the throne of God. I am loved with a love that endures forever. Love with a love that endures forever. And nothing can separate me from this love. I am able to come near to God with freedom and without fear. I'm able to come near to God with freedom, without fear. I am given His Spirit. I'm given His Spirit. Therefore, I have access to the mind of Christ. And these are all rooted in Scripture. These are not things that we make up to make ourselves feel better. These are things that God has said about us. That this, these things are rooted in our identity as God sees us. And so this last one is a choice. It's something that we say to choose to enter into. So I choose to walk in this world choose to walk in this world not from my position by natural birth or not by how I see myself or how others see me but from my position by spiritual birth as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus and a child of Christ. So Jesus, we just pray that you would take these things and you would embed them in our spirits. And Jesus, you have invited us to come before you with confidence, to step boldly. You've promised us that our prayers would be powerful and effective, that, that our prayers would change things. And Jesus, we want that prayer. We want to enter into prayer as in all that it can be. 
Jesus, we want to enter into your presence in an intimate way. We want to be confident in who we are. And Jesus, we believe that this is where you are taking us. We believe that you are changing our ideas of ourselves. We believe that you are changing our perception of our identity. And so Jesus, we choose to take on your perspective. Jesus, we invite you to change our perceptions so that we'll no longer think of ourselves as weak and unworthy and sinful and broken, but instead that we will be able to see ourselves as you see us, as being made worthy and righteous through your work on the cross and is being made whole through the work of your Spirit in us, that our sin has been taken away, and that we will respond in confidence from this, Jesus. So Jesus, we invite you to change our hearts, to change our spirits, to change our eyes and our perceptions. We want to get rid of our old way of looking at things, because that is dead to us. And we want to put on your eyes, Jesus. We want to take on your perspective. We want to see things, see the world, see ourselves as you see us. We want to see others as you see them. And we want to pray with the confidence that our prayers are powerful and effective. So Jesus, we just rejoice in what you have done, what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross, what you did when we came to you by faith, and what you continue to do in our hearts and our spirits. And we just rejoice in that, Jesus. And so as we we come before the the communion table now, Jesus, I just pray that you you would take these things, that you would remind us of what you've invited us to enter into through the cross and that you would take these truths and embed them in our spirits. We wouldn't say these as an intellectual exercise, but we say these with the conviction that this is truth with a capital T. For the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. The worship team is just going to come up as we prepare ourselves uh, for the communion table.